Welcome to the Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. My name's Chris, and this is episode 19. Hello, and welcome back to the Kick in the Cast. I have to apologize for the lateness of this episode. I normally record and upload on Mondays, but my throat was giving me some grief after a lot of mic work over the last weekend, so I figured it was best if I give it a rest. Anyways, today I have chapter 18 of Outcast for you, and in keeping with content warnings, this episode will contain scenes of sexual abuse, coercion, and graphic violence, so listener discretion is strongly advised. And with that out of the way, let's get into chapter 18 of Outcast. Outcast, a novel, written and read by Chris Fitzton. Chapter 18 The knife against my throat was small, but sharp. The tiger holding it had it exactly placed against the right vein, too. A quick flick of his wrist, and I was as good as dead. My whiskers twitched violently from the insane glee he was projecting. He gave off the distinct impression that he enjoyed doing this to people. I could hear someone whimpering nearby and managed to turn my head just enough to see Teki a few meters away. Like me, someone held her from behind, but unlike me, it was a noticeably big lion holding her. He had the kind of build that would have made him a beast on the Lachan wrestling circuit. Hells. He looked like he could mow down a dozen Shatlia without a thought. Are you all right? I asked her. She could only look at me for a moment before the lion forced her to look away. She let out a small yowl as she was righted, which caused me to tense up. I heard a low growl of warning come from my captor, then the distinct sound of him licking his lips slowly. Don't do nothing stupid, pretty boy, he said softly. Be ashamed to breed a fine-looking kitten like you so soon. What do you want with us? I demanded. The tiger chuckled lowly. It ain't what I want, he said. It's what he wants. He forced me to look away from Teki and focus on two figures appearing from the shadows. It was then I realized just how isolated we were down here. No one outside this alley would ever hear Teki's loudest scream. No one outside this alley would ever know we were down here until someone discovered our bodies by happenstance. The two figures that approached wore what looked like expensive business suits. The one on the left, a cheetah, looked like he'd been through a few fights in his day. He reminded me a bit of Cyrus in that his face bore the scars of a hard life. However, unlike Cyrus, his eyes were hard. It seemed that all it would take was a word, and he'd rip us both to shreds. So, said the other one, a jaguar. What have we got here, huh? He strode over towards me, his hands behind his back. What's your name, boy? I was unsure of what to say. What do you want with us? I remember how pathetic I sounded at that moment. Barely an adult, trying to show a brave face in front of someone I loved. Yet, 
As brave as I had to be, there was no denying my own fears. If it were just me, I'd risk anything to teach these four a lesson they'd not soon forget. But with Tiki in danger, that all changed. I didn't know how to act, and that loss of control was the beginning of this living, conscious nightmare. You see, the jaguar said, we've got a slight problem here. It seems you're in possession of something that belongs to someone else. What? What are you... He turned slightly and nodded towards Tiki. I followed his nod and saw the fear in my cougar's eyes. What are you saying? I asked. I'm saying, the jaguar growled, getting right in my face, that you are in for a world of hurt. His breath smelled of cheap liquor and stale tobacco. I heard the cheetah next to him crack his knuckles. Big T don't like it when someone steals from him. Makes him mad. Leave him alone, Techie shouted. He turned and stormed over to her. He cocked his right hand and delivered a backhand slap that echoed in the alleyway. She winced loudly and probably would have crumpled to the ground had the lion not been holding her up. Shut your mouth, bitch, the jaguar snarled. Big T said to find you, but he didn't say what kind of condition we had to bring your ass back in. So I suggest you keep that little mouth of yours shut. Hearing that slap and seeing Taki in danger helped take the edge off the fear I was feeling. Taki! I yelled, trying to lunge, ignoring the knife at my throat, but the tiger held me firm. The cheetah came in hard and fast, punching me in the stomach. I hadn't expected it to hurt that much, and on reflex I doubled over. Thankfully, the tiger holding me seemed rather experienced at holding people at knife point. As I felt myself pitch over, he gripped me even tighter, but was careful not to let the knife cut me. Unfortunately, he also left my abdomen exposed for another punch from the cheetah. I was still recovering from the first punch and had no time to tense my muscles for the impending blow. A few more like that, and the expensive dinner I'd just enjoyed would be decorating the cheetah's suit. Fortunately, he stopped his assault after that second blow. I thought I could taste blood on my tongue. Blood. My blood. The taste of it stirred something inside me. Those feelings I would normally save for the training hall began to surface. I could hear the seductive whispers of something or someone in my head. The whispers reveled in the punches I just received. Whatever the source, the whispers wanted to be provoked. I wanted to be provoked. All I needed was an excuse, and this thing inside me would make itself known. My senses awakened, as if a fog lifted from around me. My heart began to pound, and my breathing became ragged. I should have been afraid of this reaction because I didn't fully know what was happening. At that moment, though, I didn't care. This feeling inside was growing, and I was beginning to crave it. I was craving the violence it promised with its sweet, seductive whispers in my ear. I kept down the growl that was forming in my throat as the jaguar turned his attention back to me. Big T's been looking for this bitch for a while now. Thought she was going independent. He snickered. <laughs> Looks like instead of that, she done found herself a boyfriend. He got up in my face again. So tell me, kid, is she any good? 
She good to you, huh? Well, how do you think she got that way? I looked over at Tiki again. I could see the dread in her eyes as she stared back. The dread and the shame. What the jaguar was implying couldn't be true, could it? No, she couldn't have been. Not willingly. What, you didn't know? he asked, snapping my attention back on him. He laughed aloud. <laughs> I don't believe this. You don't believe this? He panned his gaze around at the others. He didn't know. He then looked over at Tiki. You never told him. <laughs> Figures. You know, maybe you should have, bitch. Maybe you should have told him all the things you're good at. You'd rock his world good then, wouldn't you? He walked over to her, and with a nod, the lion forced her to her knees. The jaguar met every struggle or cry of protest with a slap or a growl. Yeah, he said. Maybe we ought to give your boy a little show, huh? Maybe show him all your tricks. He moved in closer, and I saw her trying to turn away. My ears began ringing. The whispers in my mind were louder now, urging me to act. My eyes narrowed, and my ears began to fold back. I felt my lips peel back in a quiet snarl, baring my fangs. My fear was gone now. This feeling taking over was like a drug, and I craved it. This was more intense than anything I'd experienced in the training hall. There was only one word I could use to describe what I was feeling at that moment. Primal. I could hear the tiger's breathing grow a little heavier. Did he know what was coming? Had he seen something like this before? How many other girls had he seen in the same situation? How many times had he gotten off watching his apparent boss humiliate one female after another? My sore stomach churned slightly as he pressed against me a little tighter. I realized that if things progressed along the jaguar's intentions, this guy holding me wouldn't be amusing himself with Tiki. No, apparently, I was more to his liking. Oh yeah, he almost moaned in my ear. I'm gonna have fun breaking you in, sweetie. Soon as Darrow there gives the word, you're all mine. Darrow, please, Tiki whimpered. Let him go. I'll go back, I swear, just let him go. I don't think so, bitch, said the jaguar, who I assumed was Darrow. Not before he sees the real you. I saw him reach for something just below his waist. Was that his zipper? Yeah, bitch, he said. Let's give him a show, huh? Come on. Just like he used to. Kind of like riding a bike, isn't it? She tried to turn away again, but the jaguar gripped her by her ear and forced her to face him. I couldn't see what she was staring at, but I had an idea what it was. I could see him fondling himself with the hand that wasn't holding Tiki's head. She continued to struggle, but his hand held her fast. This time, I couldn't stop the growl. Darrow had turned just enough that I could see him exposed. He was pointing his manhood directly at her face, and she was trying in vain to turn away from it. He growled lowly and yanked hard on Tiki's ear, gripping her earrings as he did so. He forced Tiki's muzzle in the direction of his protruding flesh. You know what to do, bitch, he said, his voice growing savage. So get to it. 
He pushed forward, and I felt my stomach lurch as he pressed it against her lips. With a cry, she turned away once more, ignoring the obvious pain she was in from his holding her by those three earrings. I said, suck it, bitch, he roared, and with a pull, he ripped the earrings from her. That night, I realized Cross's warning was more than hyperbole. They all realized it, too, much to their eternal regret. Time slowed. The ringing in my ears was deafening. I never heard the scream. I never heard the others begin to laugh like idiots. All I saw was Darrow pulling those three silver hoops from her. I swore I could hear the flesh tear. I could see the blood spray from her ear. I thought I could see each droplet arc through the air in slow motion before it spattered on the ground. I saw her muzzle pull back, her lips tightening to reveal her teeth, now opening to scream. I never heard it. All I heard in the moment was the sound of my own roar. It was like with that roar I'd succumbed to the whispers in my mind, surrendering control to this feeling inside. It felt that whatever was inside me exploded forth, turning me from a naive, frightened kitten into something akin to a nightmare. A nightmare for them. I raised my left foot and brought it down with everything I could muster behind it. It wouldn't have meant much to the tiger holding me in the past, but my augments made it mean that much more. The heel of my shoe drove down on top of his foot with the force of a pile driver. I felt the bones in his foot first yield, then crack, and then shatter. It took him a full second to realize what had happened, and by that time I'd wrenched his knife-wielding arm away from my throat and stepped away from him. Still holding his arm out, I cut loose with a punch directly to his armpit and heard the satisfying pop of his shoulder dislocating. By then, his screams had finally found him and he dropped to the ground, writhing in utter agony. The cheetah's fist met me the moment I turned. He snapped a punch off across my muzzle. I don't really recall it hurting that much. In any case, I let the force of the punch drive me into a spin. As I spun, I cocked my fist and, when I faced my attacker again, I lashed out. The punch hadn't been meant for his face or even his stomach. It was aiming much lower than that. The open-handed punch connected solidly with his knee, which again would have meant little were it not for the rage I was feeling and the cybernetic implants. Bones snapped, cartilage tore, tendons ripped, and his scream joined the tigers in a building sadistic symphony for my ears. I recovered my stance just as the cheetah hit the ground, grabbing his nearly severed leg and howling in pain. Freed of my captors, I now shifted my gaze to Darrow. My fangs began to itch with that feeling of bloodlust once more as I saw him turn towards me. I shivered with delight as I watched his face turn from that smug look to one of absolute terror. G get him! I heard him shout. I glanced over towards Teki to see the lion had let her go. She crumpled to the ground, holding her bleeding ear and crying softly. That only fueled the growing rage within me. My fists clenched and claws extended as I gave in just that much more to the anger within me. This Pakla had dared to hold my beloved while Darrow tortured and humiliated her. He was going to pay, and pay dearly. 
The lion closed quickly with a powerful but clumsy attempt at a right cross. I blocked it and cut loose with one of my own. I connected with his jaw, but not nearly as hard as I wanted to. The force of his punch that I'd blocked had been enough to put me a little off balance. Still, it was hard enough that he reeled from it, which gave me a chance to right myself. Before he could recover, I came in fast and hard, fists and claws swinging. Strong as the lion was, he wasn't that quick, nor did it seem that his opponents often fought back. He was probably too used to beating down defenseless young girls. Slow as he was, the battle was far from one-sided. I still lacked the experience to avoid every swing. He landed a few good shots that I'd be sure to feel in the morning, but at that moment I felt nothing. All I had was a burning desire to lay this pakla out like a slab of meat before his master. I wanted nothing more than to show Darrow in as much morbid detail as I could the amount of hurt to which I was about to subject him. I thought I heard Darrow whimper over the scream the lion let out when I kicked out first one, then the other knee. Like the cheetah, I'd held nothing back in destroying those joints, and in the process nearly amputated him. The moment he fell, I was on him like a predator, fists burying themselves in his muzzle. Blood, bone, and teeth spattered on the pavement with each punch. How I ended up not killing him that night mystifies me to this day. Still, when I finally rose, the lion was a mess. He would be spending more time in reconstructive surgery than I spent in a coma. I must have looked a sight as I faced our last attacker, the one who dared hurt Teki. I was panting hard drooling like a junkie swimming in the throes of sadistic bliss. My muzzle must have looked a sight. The lion's blood soaked the fur on my fists, and I can only imagine my eyes were bloodshot from the boiling rage inside. Darrow's fear was so thick in the air it was nauseating. Normally, the scent of primal fear has an almost narcotic effect on predators, but at that moment it was too much. Clearly, it had been some time since this jaguar had fought his own battles. He'd grown complacent, depending more on his henchmen than his own skills. Now, he was going to pay for that complacency. With each step I took towards him, he retreated. Teki was long forgotten by the both of us at this point. All I could think of was tearing this pakla in half and I imagined all he could think about was how to make it out of this alley alive. I snarled at him, and another scent mixed itself in with the overpowering smell of fear. I chanced a quick glance downward and nearly began laughing. He had all but shriveled up down there, and now the white fur of his sheath was quickly turning yellow as he lost control of his bladder. In that one split second of averting my eyes, Darrow struck out at me. His fist connected with my muzzle hard, forcing me back a step or two. He got in two more good punches before I finally got my bearings and was able to counter. I blocked his next attempt and responded with a hard punch to his gut. As he doubled over, I introduced him to my knee, which forced his head back up and straight into a lunge punch that pushed him back against the alley wall. I was on him in mere heartbeats, alternating punches between his stomach, chest, and muzzle. I could see and smell the blood dripping out of his mouth. I could see the shattered teeth flying away from him and landing on the ground. 
My whiskers tingled as I thought I felt his very life slipping away from him. He was dying. Dying by my hands. It felt glorious. Then, in one moment, the feeling disappeared. I was just about to deliver a final shot to Darrow's head when I heard a quiet whimper from behind me. I stopped and turned slightly. Taki was sitting up now, watching me pummel Darrow into Jaguar paste. She was watching, and she was shaking. I looked into her eyes and I saw the fear in them. That fear was of me. She was no longer afraid of Darrow or any of his now unconscious cohorts. Now, she was afraid of the one trying to save her. I looked at my still clenched fist. Blood, gore, and tooth fragments mixed in with my fur there. I couldn't even see my natural fur color in my hand for all the blood. I stared down at my shirt. It too was blood-soaked. I opened my fist slowly. The sickening realization welled up within me as I panned around the alley. I saw the broken bodies of the lion, tiger, and cheetah, all of them moaning in pain and despair. And then I turned back to Darrow. Blood was pouring out of his mouth and nose. Had I landed that final blow, I know for certain that I would have killed him. He would have died by my hands, and I would have reveled in it. The moment he'd breathed his last, I was positive I would have roared my triumph to the patrons, showing them what they'd unleashed on our kind by allowing my exile. I relaxed and let Darrow go. He slumped to the ground and wheezed painfully. As I walked away, I could hear him coughing out blood and phlegm to try and clear his throat. Unless he had a gun on him, there was nothing he could do now anyway. Not to me, and thankfully no longer to Taki. I knelt before her and bowed my head, instantly feeling ashamed for letting things go as far as I had. I'd inflicted more pain and more suffering than was necessary for us to escape. A few quick shots to break their holds on us, and we could have run for it. Yet now, here we were, two blood-covered kids surrounded by a ring of near corpses. I'd lost control. The image of Daryl ripping those earrings out of her still burned in my mind. Yet each time I felt the anger swell, the memory of the fear in Taki's eyes replaced that anger with shame and humiliation. I felt worthless now, somehow unworthy of her. When her hand touched the side of my muzzle, I looked up. The fearful look in her eyes was gone now, and in its place was a sad but understanding expression. Wordlessly, I moved towards her, kissing her lightly on the lips. She returned the kiss and we embraced tightly. I felt myself beginning to shake from both the adrenaline fade and the upwelling of emotions within me. This only made her hold me tighter. I'm sorry, I choked out finally. I'm so sorry, Taki. I didn't mean to. I know, she choked back. I know. Finally, after the shaking and tears stopped, I helped her to her feet. Her ear was a mess, both bloody and torn, but there were clinics in the downtown core that could fix that with little problem. As to all the blood and gore on my clothes, I figured one of the Fort Pakla's lying around the alley would have a suit jacket that fit. It wouldn't be much, but at least it would cover up some of the evidence that I now wore. 
The tiger, who'd been so intent on taking away another virginity of mine, was my first choice for a potential clothing donor. His jacket was a little big, but it would do the job. He squealed in pain as I removed the jacket, but by that point I was too numb to really care about his plight. We moved out of the alley and back onto a thankfully deserted street. Despite what happened and how I felt about it, I took some comfort in knowing that Darrow and his comrades wouldn't be on the prowl for us anytime soon. Their injuries aside, the memory of what happened would doubtlessly haunt them for months, if not years. Whoever this Big T was, I hoped this would send enough of a message to him that Taki wasn't worth pursuing. He dared to mess with the mate of a Lautari, and for that, his goons nearly paid the ultimate price. I accessed my ID card and summoned a transport for us. For a destination, I chose the nearest clinic that was still open that could tend to Taki's wounds. Producing a cover story for why we looked the way we did would be easy enough. I would just say that the fight involved an exile. It wasn't really a lie, just truth from a different point of view. I pondered as we rode what would have happened to Darrow if I hadn't stopped. Would I have killed him? If Taiki hadn't made a sound, would I have thrown that final punch and ended the jaguar's life? Would my rage have let me? Every time I thought about it, one word came to mind. A word spoken with a sweet, seductive whisper dripping with venomous lust. Yes! The clinic was thankfully only a few blocks away from the alley. Within an hour, the physician on duty repaired the torn flesh of Taki's ear. The dermal regenerator had worked wonders on the flesh, but the fur would take a few days to grow back. Until then, those bald lines in her ear would remind us of what she once wore and how Darrow removed them. During Taki's treatment, I took over one of the restrooms and tried to wash the blood off my hands and shirt. It worked to some extent. The shirt wasn't completely clean, but it was wearable even without the tiger's jacket I'd taken. My hands came clean rather quickly, and I marveled at all the blood and tooth fragments that I caught in my fur from the fight. I would have laughed about it were I not so ashamed. As I suspected, the staff and physicians at the clinic turned a blind eye to our conditions when I mentioned the word exile. They wanted nothing to do with anything involving one of society's garbage beings. Of course, protocol demanded they file a report with the authorities, but they assured us that nothing would come of it. Since Taki and I had emerged from the fight victorious, the police would probably just file and ignore it. It was dusk when we boarded the transport home. The journey was a silent one, and at first, I feared that she was somehow angry with me for acting the way I had. However, the moment we sat down, she leaned up against me and closed her eyes. I wrapped my arms around her and gently stroked behind the ear that hadn't been damaged. It wasn't long before her breathing fell into a regular, shallow pattern, indicating that she'd fallen asleep. I had to admit, it was hard for me to keep my own eyes open, but I couldn't give in just yet. We'd be home soon, and then we could just curl up together and do our best to let this night pass into our nightmares. I woke her up moments before our stop. She stretched briefly before we both stepped off the transport and into the cool night air. The moons were all full this night, which helped light our way across the field to the tree line. 
We walked slowly, hand in hand, not saying anything. Anytime I looked over at her, Tiki's muzzle was a mask of pure determination. She rarely blinked and never once turned her head from the path we walked. She did squeeze my hand reassuringly, though, reminding me that whatever was going through her head, I wasn't the cause of it. After several more minutes of walking, we finally arrived at the clearing. I'd never been so happy to see that place as I had that night. The exhaustion of beating the tar out of those four paklas was finally catching up to me, and I knew I'd barely have my clothes off before I collapsed and fell asleep. I moved towards the door, but she pulled me in the opposite direction. Taki moved us towards the woodpile and grabbed as much wood as she could carry. I was surprised at first, but then figured she probably wanted a nice warm fire to sleep by. Ever the gentleman, I scooped up several cut pieces as well, enough for both the night and the morning. She surprised me again, however, by heading towards the back of the dwelling. I followed and watched as she dropped the wood inside a ring of stones that we'd made a while ago to serve as an outdoor fire pit. Some nights we would stay out here, enjoying both the warmth of the fire and each other's company. On the occasional night, we would make love by the fire, falling asleep in each other's arms afterward. As much as I loved her, I began to wonder just what she was doing now. I watched her quickly arrange the wood in the center of the ring and moments later had a small fire going. It didn't take long for the rest of the wood to catch, and soon the fire burned bright and hot before us. I had to take a step back from the quick, intense heat that washed over me. I dropped my load of wood on the outside of the ring, figuring I could always feed the fire later. Tiki's movements caught my eye once more, and I watched, shocked, as she stripped out of her dress and everything else. What further surprised me was when she took her bundled clothes and threw them atop the blazing fire. It didn't take long before they were alight. You might want to do the same, she said, snapping me back to reality. I looked in her direction only to see her disappear into the darkness beyond the firelight's reach. Dumbly, I followed suit, stripping down to the fur and tossing my clothes into the fire. I winced as I saw the flames first lick over the clothes, then begin to consume them. I rather liked how I'd looked dressed in those clothes. It seemed a waste, really. I followed where Taki had gone, and soon found myself standing on the edge of the pool. She turned to face me and I slipped in, accepting her wordless invitation. The water felt as warm as a blanket to me, and again it was hard for me to keep my eyes open. I leaned back against the edge of the pool, and she moved toward me. She leaned against me and I wrapped my arms around her waist, pulling her close. Gently, I kissed the top of her head and she sighed softly. I silently thanked every god I knew that we were all right. You deserve the truth, Dallin, she finally said. The truth about my past, how I got here. You should hear it all. I could feel her begin to shake slightly, and I drew her in closer. I'm just scared that, after you hear it, you'll hate me. I could never hate you, Taki, I said softly, kissing the back of her head. Whatever happened to you... Whatever it was with those four, none of it matters to me. All that matters is that you're here, now, with me. You might not think so after what I have to say, she said softly. Then, with another deep breath, she told me her story. 
And that's our story. So my muse was really giving me the gears this past week, and I've been spending a lot of time at my writing desk as a result. I was actually able to get the fourth rewrite of A New Beginning's first chapter done. Yeah, four rewrites. It's like I know where I want the story to go. I have outlines and everything laid out for what I want it to do. But when I start trying to actually put the words together to try to make that nice flow that most readers really love in a good story, to me, it just feels like it was falling flat. And I don't want readers or listeners to have to deal with that. I want to make sure that the words flow the way they're supposed to. And finally, after really sitting down and looking at this, plugging in the right kind of music to get my head right, I finally got the flow that I wanted. But also on the outline side, I was able to get up to chapter 10 outlined properly. It's coming together now, and if my muse keeps on nagging me like this, I have a feeling that some serious progress is going to start happening in the next few weeks. Anyways, that's about all I've got for now for writing reports, so I think I'll end it here. As always, thank you for tuning in, and if you'd like to leave some feedback, you can email me at outcastnovel at gmail.com, or you can leave an audio feedback via the SpeakPipe app at kickit.yo5.ca. So until next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and above all, have a good week. This is Chris, signing out. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. For more information, please visit the show's website at kickit.yo5.ca. And to leave any feedback, please feel free to drop an email at outcastnovel at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and hope to see you next time.